Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. You know, there's a quote by Ambrose Bierce. His quote is, death is not the end. There remains the litigation over the estate. And so with this quote from this journalist and writer, today's show is about proper estate planning for real estate investors. And this is something I've been wanting to do for a while because I realize it's a little bit of a gap in the content that I've been putting out. And so today I brought on a guest who I found out about through a friend of mine and uh, his name is Jules Martin Haas, and he is a New York City-based lawyer who provides clients with legal representation in various areas of law, including real estate, trusts and estates, probate, estate planning, and business law. And with that amount of regulation, over-regulation that we have out today, it's very important to have a good attorney. So, Jules, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marco. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me on your show today. Well, it's my pleasure. And so let's just start off with taking a minute and having you tell us about yourself. Sure. As you said, I'm a New York attorney. My office is in Midtown Manhattan. I'm at 845 Third Avenue, New York, New York, which is between 51st and 52nd, right in Midtown Manhattan. And we can get some details later. I have a website. I have a blog, New York Probate Lawyer blog. And I practice pretty much throughout the New York metropolitan area, which is, you know, New York City at all is Queens and Brooklyn and Manhattan, Bronx, Staten Island, and some of the surrounding counties, which include Nassau, Suffolk, and Westchester counties as well. Perfect. And if you can, just take a minute, just tell us about your background as an attorney and and your focus on estate planning and whatnot, just so we have a better idea of your practice. Sure. I've been representing clients and practicing here in New York since 1979. The folks that I represent really are a wide array of interests. The areas that I primarily work in, as you mentioned, include estate planning, which includes wills and trusts and various items like that. I do a lot of what we call surrogates court work here in New York, which is people outside of New York may know it as probate court, which is probate of wills, administration of estates, various forms of litigation that go along with that, of which there is a lot, such as will contests and various other trust and accounting proceedings, kinship proceedings. My handle guardianship matters where people become incapacitated and they need a guardian. I also do a lot and have done a lot of representation in connection with real estate matters. And real estate matters really, as your audience knows, can really run a whole array of different things. There are matters such as, you know, the sort of -of run-of-the-mill closings, which can be single, multifamily homes. Here in New York City, we have uh, cooperatives, co-op apartments. We have condominium apartments. You know, there's leases and there's landlord-tenant issues. There's all kinds of stuff. And, you know, New York being as it is, there are many rules and regulations and various things that, you know, you have to overcome even in the most simplest type of uh, transaction. So I've been doing all of that for well over 30 years as well. And it's interesting because a lot of the representation that I have in the estate area and the real estate area sort of go hand in hand. The reason being that many times the main asset, the most valuable asset that a person owns is usually going to be real estate, whether it's a house, 
or an investment property or some other type of interest. And as your audience probably knows, those interests can have a tremendous amount of value. So even someone who has what we would think of as a very simple type of an estate with some bank accounts, retirement funds, whatever, um, if they own a house and an investment property, whatever, those properties are going to have a substantial, probably the largest value in their estate. And it's very interesting because many times the way those properties are owned and the way those properties are disposed of create a tremendous amount of confusion and complications with respect to either a person's estate plan or the settlement and administration of a person's estate. And as we talk a little bit more later on, I can give your audience some examples of some of the difficulties that people have encountered because they really don't pay attention to how they are owning their assets and administering their assets during life, which causes a great deal of problems in planning their estate and administering their estate once they're deceased. Sure. So Jules, the best place to start is really with clearly defining what estate planning is and why it's so important. And then we can just build off of that. Sure. So getting back to what I had mentioned, people think, well, I'm doing an estate plan and this sounds very complicated and, you know, everything that I have is very simple. You know, what do I need to know? Well, I'm admitted in New York. So basically the law that I can speak to is New York law, but I can speak generally because without giving an opinion, the law across the United States is generally the same. And when you sit down to do an estate plan, the most important thing to think about first is what it is that you own. Because the way you own assets is basically going to be the method by which these assets can be disposed of and handled in an estate plan and also when someone dies. So I'm just going to give you a very simple example, and this is really based on New York law, but I think it applies generally throughout the country. So let's say you own a house, and that house is in your name alone. Well, any asset that's in your name alone is going to be controlled by your will. And if that asset's in your name, the will's going to say where it goes. But many times, that asset is not in your name alone. So the house may be held jointly with someone else. If the house is held jointly with someone else here in New York and most likely throughout the country, that asset as a joint asset is going to go automatically to the person that you own the house jointly with. And even though you write a will not thinking about how do I own this house, your will's not going to control where that house goes because the house is going to go to the joint owner, what we call here in New York, by operation of law. So the estate plan that you're putting together in your will may very well not be effective because of the way you own your assets. And that example that I gave you with respect to the house applies to other assets as well, whether it's a joint bank account that may be held jointly, whether it's um, a retirement fund where you have a designated beneficiary, such as an IRA or a pension or whatever, or 401k. So where you have these joint owners or designated owners, those assets are going to go automatically to that person on your death. And even though you write a will and you say, I want everything to go to so-and-so, it may very well not work. And I'm just going to take the opportunity here to give one example of problems where this arises all the time. Many times, older people have assets such as real estate or bank accounts or whatever, and they have a number of children. And it's not unusual where some children live outside of the state where their parents live. Right. And even though the parent, you know, has three, four, five kids, and they want to treat them all equally, 
what ends up happening is the parents as well. You know, my daughter Mary, she lives around the corner from me. Everybody else lives a thousand miles away. So what I'm going to do is, because I want my life to be easy and Mary helps me every day of the week, I want her to be able to go to the bank and I want her to be able to deal with my stuff. So just in order to take care of this, you know what, I'm going to put Mary on the account with me and then someday when I die, I'm sure Mary's going to do the right thing. Well, lo and behold, the parents don't really think about it. And even though you can create a special account here as a convenience account with someone else's name on it, very often people put their name on as a joint donor. And so the parent dies and automatically Mary gets everything. And Mary says, I'm not giving anything to anybody else because I stayed here and took care of my parents and you guys were 500 miles away doing nothing. Now, obviously that doesn't carry out the person's intent, but that person's no longer around to say, hey, this is not what I really wanted. Even though I wrote in my will, I want my kids to get everything equally. So the point of that story is that you need to understand what you own, whether it's a bank account, whether it's real estate, whether you own the real estate in your name alone, whether you own the real estate in the name of a LLC, where you really own membership interests, or a small corporation where you own stock. All of these things still operate the same way. So the first thing you do is you sit down, you make an inventory of what you own and how you own it. And then you can sit down and think about, well, what do I want to do? What do I want to happen if I'm not around? And then you can start to begin to map out an estate plan. Just to keep on the simple side of things, when you're getting into doing an estate plan, when I sit down with clients, you say, well, what do you want your will to say? And the client will say, well, I want everything to go to my wife. And if my wife's not around or my husband's not around, then I want it to go to my children or whatever. Sometimes there's no spouse. Sometimes there are no children. Sometimes it's friends or charities or whatever. But the important point there is what happens if the person that you want your assets to go to are not alive? So you really have to go down another level. It really requires a lot of thought because you have to say, well, I want this to happen, but if this isn't around, this person's not around, or this contingency's not going to occur, then I want this to happen. So you really have to give a lot of thought to what you own and where you want it to go in various levels. And it does take some effort to do this. And believe it or not, many clients come in, and you know, if you have a spouse and you have children, it's sort of easy. But nowadays, you know, that's not always the case. And people have a lot of different relationships and families that are no longer around or families that they don't like, that they don't want to have to deal with. So it really requires a lot of thought. And the only way to do it is to actually sit down, think about what you're doing, speak to whatever professionals, whether it's you know your attorney or whoever, to try to start to deal with these various questions so you can at least create a basic map. And the will doesn't have to be very complicated because I'm not getting into issues of estate taxes where, you know, on sure. the federal level, you don't have to worry till you're over like $5.4 million and New York State is getting up there and some states don't even have an estate tax. And a husband and wife, if you combine their two exemptions, you know, you can basically transfer over $10 million estate tax-free from the federal estate tax. But putting all of that aside, and everyone doesn't have an estate tax issue, you do have a property transfer issue. And so many estates are just, they don't reflect what a person really wanted. And without going on and on, I just have one more essential point to make. If you do not have a will, then your estate is going to be controlled by the laws of the state where you live 
for any asset that's in your name alone. So if it's not a joint owner or not a designated beneficiary, you just own that house in your name, that house is going to go to, under the laws of your state, your next of kin. And there are many problems with that because, first of all, you've got to figure out who the next of kin are. And many people's families may be estranged. You know, I'm working right. on a state like right today where this woman died. She has an estate. Let's say it's around a million dollars. She owns a co-op. She owns some bank accounts. And her family tree is impossible because her family originally came, I think it was from Ireland. There's like dozens of cousins and whatever, but nobody knows who it was. And she wrote a will leaving everything to her friend. Her friend doesn't know who her family was, you know, 100 years ago. And the lawyer who, in this case, took the information didn't take down a family tree. So now what's going to end up happening is I'm going to have to go to a genealogist and we're going to have to try to piece this together after the fact. So if you don't write a will, your estate's going to go to your next of kin. And it may very well be that even if you can find who they are, they may very well be persons that you don't want your assets to go to. So with all of these things considered, it's better to sit down and do a plan than just to leave it to the wind, so to speak, to try to figure it out after you're gone. Okay, so you've established that estate planning is very important. You've established that having a minimum of a will is important. But it sounds like estate planning is much more than just the will. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a question from ignorance, but is the scenario you gave with Mary and all these other situations that you brought up, are those not all handled through a good will, or is it more than just a will that you need for a proper estate plan? Well, the point is that the will is going to control the asset that's in your name alone. So when you're sitting down with somebody to help you consider what your plan is, you have to understand how the property is going to go. So it may very well be that some of these assets that are held jointly are going to go outside of your will, but that's still part of your plan because your plan is, okay, my house goes automatically to my wife. My house goes automatically to my son. My 401k, my designated beneficiary is my wife. That's great. But the will's going to cover stuff that you don't have beneficiaries for. Now, there are other aspects and documents that go along with what we call advanced planning, all right, and estate planning. So you can do what we call a grantor or living trust, a lifetime trust, which is really a will substitute where you take all of your assets and put it into a trust, and it has the same provisions that would be in your will if you die. When someone comes in for an estate plan, even though it's not a plan to distribute assets, clients will do what we call a healthcare proxy to name someone to make healthcare decisions for them. They can do a power of attorney, which has its own issues as far as giving someone authority over assets. So there are many different things, but the will sort of forms the basic foundation. Okay, so there's more to it. It's not just the will. There's other tools. That's correct. Okay. So there's multiple documents, multiple tools that make up an entire state plan. The will is just one piece of that bigger puzzle, and that, that may be true for most people. That is correct. That's okay. correct. And the point is to sit down so you can figure out what meets your needs best. Okay. All right. So moving on. So there are so many taxes. There are federal, state, and all kinds of taxes. The goal of a good estate plan, as I understand it, is to reduce the overall estate and gift taxes that a person would be responsible for, or at least to defer that tax burden. So how does an estate plan help to minimize what I know as four taxes that apply? Gift taxes, estate taxes, a transfer tax, and of course, income tax. Big question. Okay. So let me try to... uh speak to those issues. As I had mentioned, 
the federal estate tax doesn't kick in until you have over, I forgot the exact number, I think it's $5.435 million of assets. And if you have a spouse, there's a 100% marital deduction. So you could have a gazillion dollars and give everything to your spouse. And there's no estate tax. Now we're talking about federal estate tax because like income tax, there's federal and there's state. And each state has its own tax structure. Of course, New York is New York, so you have an estate tax. And it's pretty much following along the federal exemption lines. And I think it's going to reach the highest amount to be equal with the federal level in 2019. So right now it's a little bit lower than that. I think it's at three something. So that's your exempt amount. Over that, you're subject to an estate tax. And of course, as I said, husband and wife combined can transfer over $10 million because they both got exemptions. So if you need to do a plan where someone's assets are in excess of that, you can take advantage of those exemptions. And even though you know a lot of folks have a lot of wealth these days, there are fewer estates that are subject to the estate tax because $10 million is still a big number. And sure. even $5 million potentially for an individual is still it's a fairly large number. So in many estates, probably most estates, the estate tax is not going to be an issue. And because the estate tax is not an issue, a gift tax is probably not going to be an issue either because the gift tax sort of works along the same way as the estate tax, at least on the federal level. In New York State, we don't even have a gift tax. And then there are different issues with basis. You know, when somebody dies, and again, I'm getting off of this a little bit, but under the tax law, you get a step up in basis. Yep. So the value of an asset in the estate is going to have a tax basis, if your audience is familiar with that tax concept, of the date of death value. So even though that asset, for instance, a house, commercial property, or whatever it might be, or anything that was bought, a stock was bought at $5 that's worth $100 when you die, now it's going to be worth $100 and have a tax basis. So if you sell it the next day, you're going to have no income tax gain. So really, you're getting that income tax benefit out of an estate. So it's a benefit to the beneficiary because it it resets the tax clock. That's right. It does. Exactly. But if you make a gift, a lifetime gift, if I gave that to someone, someone's going to get what we call my carryover basis. So they're not going to get that benefit up. Now, there are different ways to deal with that, with a life estate or whatever, which is sort of not where we're going to go in this conversation today. But just to understand those concepts, the important thing to do, again, is depending upon what your estate looks like and what you're planning to do is to sit down with someone, whether it's your attorney, whether it's your tax advisor, whoever, and say, well, what is the consequence of me doing A, B, C, and D? Because there are loads of different issues that you run across in dealing with, I don't want to say end-of-life issues, but going towards end-of-life issues. You know, you may have a Medicaid issue about transferring assets, and how do I keep from losing all of my assets if I have a catastrophic illness, and how do I qualify for Medicaid? It's not something that I deal with as far as doing a Medicaid plan, but I obviously work with people that do, but that's another whole area of dealing with this aspect of planning. But the basic estate plan that people should think about again, and I know it sounds repetitive, is to sit down, understand what you have, think about what you want, and then be able to create something that's going to carry that plan out and take into account whatever the estate tax or income tax or gift tax uh, result might be in various scenarios. 
That's a perfect summary. Figure out what you have, what you want, and how you're going to carry it out. And that last point is really the combination of those three sound like your estate plan in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that very well said. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of what real estate investors should actually be concerned about because real estate is valuable, but it's not really liquid. So does that pose a problem or an issue? Well, of course, it always poses a problem. It poses a problem for a number of reasons. The most basic reason is that let's say you write a will and you have an estate plan and you say, I give everything to my five children and you've got whatever, two, three, four properties or whatever. So it's not very easy to divide that stuff up. So what you end up having to do in order to make distributions out of an estate where you have property that's illiquid is you've got to liquefy it, you've got to sell it so everyone can get their share. That's assuming you want to sell it, though. That's assuming you want to sell it. But here's the problem that you run into. When your assets are being distributed to more than one person, when you ran it during your life, that was okay. You were the boss. You're in charge most of the time. You have no one to answer to but yourself. When you start having properties distributed to diverse members of your family, they may or may not get along, and they may or may not like each other. And having multiple people operate properties who don't get along or may not get along or who have no idea as to what they're doing because some of them may have other professions and they're not real estate professionals. They don't know how to run real estate properties and everyone wants to be in charge. You know, you've got major problems. So the way that those problems are solved is by liquidating the property. And what you have to think of there, again, is also how does this work down the road because you're saying, well, I'm giving this to these three people or these five people or whatever it may be. And they may not be children. They may be other beneficiaries that are related or unrelated, whatever. But let's say one of those beneficiaries is not alive, or let's say one of those beneficiaries dies. So then you start having multiple layers of various people. So instead of five people, all of a sudden you got eight people and then another person dies and you got 15 people. So you have a whole group of people that have an ownership interest in these assets. And the chances of everyone getting along is probably... Slim. I don't know. I don't, I don't ever give odds, but there's certainly a great chance that they won't get along. Right. And what ends up happening, too, is the natural reaction of folks. So let's say you have a property that's worth $2 million, which today's market really isn't even that much, and you've got five people. And one of these five people is two kids going to college. And he says, you know, hey, I could use my $400,000 in my pocket. I don't want this house. I don't know how to run property. I've never wanted to run property. But I sure as heck could use the 400 on my pocket because I'm going to retire. I could pay for college and make my life easy. Yep. I want to sell this house. And then the other people say, no, you know, it's a great investment. Uh, You know, we can rent it. And, you know, anybody that runs property knows that it's a great investment. But when you got tenants and you got other stuff going on, you got to fix the boiler and the pipe breaks and people call you in the middle of the night and the property manager doesn't show up. It's a nightmare. Who makes that decision? Is it the multiple owners or the family or is that defined as part of the estate plan before the owner is deceased? It can be either way because you can put a direction in your will that says, I want, when I die, this gets sold and you distribute the proceeds. Okay. So you really have to understand what you're dealing with 
And, you know, there are just so many issues that come up, and the stuff that I'm describing is sort of basic. So if you get on a more sophisticated level, let's say you do have partners that own interests in properties, all right? Well, how do they own these interests? Is there a partnership agreement? Is there a shareholders agreement? What happens if one becomes disabled? What happens if one dies? How do you buy that partner out? What does the agreement say? Is there life insurance to fund that buyout? Is the life insurance sufficient to fund the buyout on a fair market value basis? And how do you determine that? And then, of course, you have a surviving spouse who's left with a partner who's adverse to her interests and wants to fight with her, and she can't get her money out of this property because, you know, the surviving spouse didn't run the property. She doesn't want to be a partner with somebody else. And the surviving partner doesn't want the five kids of the fellow that's deceased to be his partners either. So how do you deal with this? So those questions, but they're questions that people should think about how they want answered beforehand. Afterwards, it's just a nightmare. So does that all apply just the same to having multiple owners, not just having family members, but actually having partners who are not family? Does the same things apply? Yes, it applies um, very directly. Okay. And in fact, that's what I was referring to. You know, you can have two partners and the one partner dies, it goes to his spouse, it goes to his kids, and then how do they get their money out? And what happens to the remaining partner who doesn't want to have people who he never dealt with as his partners? Yeah. So I think real estate investors need to be concerned with three basic things here, you know, planning for the payment of estate taxes, inheritance taxes. Second would be planning for the transfer of the ownership of these investments. And third is how to deal with the debt that's attached to these properties if there is any debt. And maybe comment on that real quick. How does the debt apply? Does it just ride along with the property and it's there until the asset is sold? Well, yeah, I mean, the debt, you know, again, it depends on the nature of the debt. So if it's a mortgage against the property, the mortgage is going to stay there. Yeah. And if, depending on the structure, many times individuals have to guarantee the mortgage or whatever, unless the lender allowed it to be in the name of the entity. But usually yeah. they'll want some sort of guarantee, particularly, you know, when, with smaller owners. So it's going to be an obligation. So the mortgage is going to stay there. The mortgage is not going to go away. And so... You know, it's an issue that has to be thought about and dealt with. The property may generate enough income to pay for the mortgage, but ultimately, how do you extricate yourself from that when you have someone that passed away and there's an obligation there to deal with? These are not simple issues, but they're issues that just need to be thought about so they can be or attempted to be dealt with going forward should the situation arise. You know, when you have the ability to try to plan for it, at least you have the opportunity to try to figure out how will we solve this problem. Yep. Because when the person is not around, you can't say, what would you like to do? <laughs> yeah. Well, here I am, I'm stuck. You know, the family's stuck with this issue. And people start fighting against each other. And then, of course, they all hire their own lawyers and everybody gets, yeah. you know, in an uproar. And why do you want to be there? Yeah. And just to talk about fighting, just a totally different side of this. You really should do a, a will and have it done right because the surrogate's court, which is the probate court here in New York, is filled with will contests. And when you leave people out of a will or you don't give someone who thinks that they should be entitled to what they're supposed to get or, oh, you know, so-and-so said they were going to leave me a um, million dollars. How come it's not in the will? So, you know, you have will contests. And so there's interfamily fighting. There's 
Yeah. I don't know if you've read in the paper, but the fellow, I forgot his last name, Ioki was it, who was the owner of the uh, Benihana Steakhouse. Uh-huh. He died a few years ago. And there's been a war, literally, here in New York, in the surrogate's court, over his estate, between his family, his kids, and his second wife, as to who controls the business, you know, which will's going to control, who's got the right to do this, who's got the right to do that. Wow. And so these things go on all the time. Yeah, and they can drag out for years. Oh, they can drag out for years very easily. Yeah, unbelievable. So I don't want listeners to have their eyes glaze over or get crossed here thinking that, geez, this is so complicated. Well, it can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be. And the reason I say it doesn't have to be is because working with the right attorney who can help make this simple for you and create an estate plan that works for you and your heirs doesn't have to be that complicated. The best thing is to do the right thing and get it done and done right. So here's kind of a simple question, but I have to ask, I mean, is estate planning for everyone or does it exclude certain people? I mean, if you don't have assets, I mean, do you still need an estate plan? Well, if you have no assets, obviously there's not much to worry about. (laughs) All right. So it's pretty simple. You know, you don't have to do an estate plan vis-a-vis a will, but you should still think about healthcare proxy, you know, that type of thing. But by and large, people say, oh, an estate plan, that's just for, you know, rich folks. But it's not because most folks are not going to have to worry about estate planning from a tax vantage point, but they need to worry about the estate plan from the property transfer standpoint. Right. Because even the simplest estate where you've got a bank account and a savings account and a retirement account and a house, how's that stuff going to be dealt with and where is it going to go? Right. You know, I see all kinds of things. People buy their house and they can't afford a mortgage okay, or they can't qualify for a mortgage. So what happens is that they buy the house and they say, oh, I need my cousin to help me get this mortgage. So I'm going to put my cousin on the deed and give him a 10% ownership interest in the house. And lo and behold, they never changed that. But the cousin went on because they needed the cousin on the deed to get the mortgage and sign on the mortgage, all right, which may have been paid off years ago. But lo and behold, the fellow dies, the cousin's got 10%. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go on. I'm going to put the house in my child's name just temporarily because I need the child to help me do this or that. And lo and behold, the one child gets the whole thing. Or my second spouse is going to go on the deed with me, right? Not thinking that all of the money that went into the house I'm buying now came from my first marriage. Yeah. The house is now going to go to my second wife and my kids from my first marriage are going to end up getting nothing. And then they go berserk. So you have to just think about the stuff. It's not really that hard. You know, it's not very complicated. And I know I'm I'm sort of playing the devil's advocate in a way, but all of the things that I'm talking about are really positive things. You know, they're ways of preventing, you know, with that car commercial, pay me now or pay me later type of thing. Yeah. Just think about it. It's not really that hard because most folks that are listening to your show, your audience, are very sophisticated and knowledgeable people. They spend a lot of time looking at their investments, what they're going to do, how they're going to run their business. And the stuff that I'm talking about is probably a lot easier than making an analysis as to whether or not this income-producing property is going to make a profit in five years and should I buy it. 
that probably requires a lot more analysis than sitting down and understanding your estate plan. Well, I like to look at things in its most simplistic way. I like to boil the complex down into the simple so it's easy to understand because I'm not smart enough to understand the most complex things. So for me, estate planning comes down to this. Who's going to own what? Of all your possessions and assets, how is that going to be passed on and how is it going to be split up? Who's going to have title to what? And then the estate plan is to help minimize the various taxes, your gift tax, estate tax, transfer tax if applicable, and your income taxes. And really, that's the big question, the two big questions to be answered in putting an estate plan together. So I think that applies to most people. And mm-hmm. hopefully this episode right. is eye-opening and enlightening and helps to clarify what the heck is an estate plan and why is it important to me, especially as a real estate investor. And I think we've done that. But I also think that a lot of people are listening to this thinking, wow, this sounds complicated. And hopefully it'll give them a kick in the butt to get off the fence and talk to someone like you or their own attorney and, and figure this stuff out. So let's just wrap this up with one last question. It's kind of a loaded question, but you know, when is a good time to actually go and set one up? I know you're probably going to say as soon as possible, but when is a good time? You're right. As soon as possible. You know, everybody's got their own schedule in life. So whenever you feel comfortable about going ahead and doing it. And so it's never too early to do it, really. And it's never too late. Mm-hmm. So when you feel good about it and you sit down and say, okay, you know, I've got a few minutes in my day, my hectic day to try to think about this, fine. And I think the other point that I really want to stress is that when it's not thought about or done in an effective way, the anxiety and the cost and the turmoil is really laid on the shoulders of the family after a person passes away. Because it's at that point that you're in the court fighting about what you need to fix, which could have been hopefully fixed before. You know, I do loads of probate proceedings and administration and will contests and all kinds of stuff in court. And you can't solve everything. And of course, there are always problems that you can't anticipate. But many of the problems can be avoided by just thinking about what you're doing before. So at any point when you decide to do it, you don't have to run out the door today or tomorrow or next week. But it's another thing on the list of things that should be taken care of in in due time. Yeah, it's an important thing to do. You should get it done. My dad passed away last year and my dad did put a will together. He didn't have a lot of assets, but my brother was the executor and it just made it very simple to have everything clearly spelled out as to what goes where and how things get paid off. So it's well worth the cost and well worth the time to do. So Jules... Thank you so much. Tell our listeners how they can find you and, if you want, how they can get more information. Sure. So you can find me on the web, and you know I have a website. You could just type in my name in Google, come right up, you know, Jules, J-U-L-E-S, Haas, H-A-A-S. And when you hit my website, you'll see I have a blog. It's called New York Probate Lawyer Blog, and I publish an article every week about some aspect of New York probate law or guardianship law. Uh, usually I discuss one of the cases. And it's all, you know, very simple. This is not complicated language. Um, if you look at my website, it has loads of information about estates and real estate. Again, it's New York-centered because that's where I am. That's New York. My phone number is 212-355-2575. But again, 
my phone number, my email, everything is right on my website. So if you just punch in my name in Google, you'll be able to, to get to me very easily. Great. We'll put all that in the show notes as well. So the people Great. will have instant access to it. Great. All right, Jules. Well, again, thank you so much for your time, your wealth of knowledge, and I appreciate your uh, help in clarifying what estate planning is. Well, you're very welcome, Marco. And um, I'm glad to be able to spend this time with you and your audience. Thank you. So estate planning is not the most joyful or fun topic to think about or to deal with, but the fact is is that it needs to be done. Statistics show that only 55% of Americans actually have a will or an estate plan, which is a surprisingly low percentage. And estate planning has five primary objectives. It's to minimize taxes. It's to avoid probate. It's to direct the disposition of your property. So again, it's who owns what. Fourth, it's to nominate guardians for minor children, should that apply. And fifth, it's to plan for your potential incapacity. And this is uh, one thing that people don't really think about. It's not just about death, but what happens if you become incapacitated and you can't take care of yourself? Maybe you can't communicate or talk. I mean, these are things that are, again, not happy thoughts, but things to consider because things happen. I mean, things happen in life. And so... There are a lot of tools in an estate plan as we've come to learn. You know, there's the will, there's a trust, there are community property agreements, there are advanced health care directives and a power of attorney for health care. There is the durable power of attorney for property management. And of course, there's life insurance and possibly a life insurance trust. So it's important to speak to a professional. This is not something to take lightly. I would encourage you to call either your local attorney or if you're in the state of New York, Uh, You can call up Jules. He's uh, more than happy to help you out, and he's very knowledgeable. So anyway, this was a necessary episode. I hope it was helpful. Maybe there was something here you could take and then build upon. So take the next step, and if you have any questions, you know, by all means, contact Jules or your local attorney, and they can give you a hand. So in just closing things up, if you haven't done so, download and read the free report I've created, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. I know it's been downloaded literally thousands of times. Some people download it, they put it in their iPhone or wherever, and they don't read it. So definitely read that. If you are sitting on the fence or thinking about investing in real estate, contact one of our investment counselors or your investment counselor here for a free strategy session or just to take your investing to the next level. If you have any questions about real estate, be sure to shoot me an email. If you have my email address, great. If not, just go to PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. At the top, you'll see Ask Marco and just let me know what it is. I could possibly cover it in a future episode. I try to do that all the time, but usually I'll just email you back. And uh, that's about it. So if you're listening to this episode for the first time, if you like the show, remember to subscribe. And if you can, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. That certainly helps us get the word out. It spreads it to more people who need this type of information. And after listening to today's episode, I'm sure you realize that if 55% of people in the U.S. don't have a will or a trust or an estate plan, they need to hear this kind of stuff. So with that, thanks for listening. And we will see you next week on our next episode. Is your cash working hard for you? Savings accounts and most stocks, bonds, and mutual funds provide little to no real rates of return. How would you like your cash to earn a 15% annual rate of return fully secured by real estate? 
Our private lending program allows investors to safely invest in our real estate projects without any long-term commitments. Self-directed retirement accounts also qualify. For your free information packet, please visit PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. That's PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.